episode 14 of the Metro Fan TV Weekly Rundown. Yes, before anyone says anything, we're still alive, very much like our team. Uh, Lenz and Fernando coming to you live from Singapore and New Jersey. How are you doing today, Fernando? Um, good. Good. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a Friday night. The fucking weather here sucks. But... <laughs> And uh, of course, it's a very it's a very special episode of Metro Fan TV because we're keeping it all in the family tonight. Family Matters episode of Metro Fan TV because none other just joining us on the program. Sorry, today is none other than Discavo Gonzalez, brother Fernando. Yo 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 yo, yo ad libs. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah, check. Is there yeah, we're, we're like amigos now. Like we're, we're going to reclaim amigos for New York. Like fuck out of here, Atlanta. You don't deserve yeah. that. But what up? actually, maybe, maybe not Migos because, like, I don't want offsets like homophobia and shit. But yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of canceled, unfortunately. Yeah, keep on doing. You can have them, Atlanta. Actually, I think we're fine. <laughs> we'll take Killer Mike. <laughs> gotta, get, gotta get rid of the uh, gun control. The, the, the gun yeah. control, man. I thought that was kind of. That's kind of whack. I ain't gonna lie. Um, yeah, that that was kind of a bad look in my opinion. But eh, well, never meet your heroes. Is basically, what I'm trying to say. Uh, <laughs> maybe we can take Outcast. I don't know, but Andre Three Thousand doesn't seem like he wants to be found. You know, just like Joseph Martinez. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Um. Yeah, I mean, here we are potentially previewing what um, could be the last uh, game of the season. But I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really going to buy into that whole um, spiel about, um, you know, this being, um, this our, our fate being written in stone just yet. Because, I mean, you know, as, this, as we've seen too many times this season, you know, I believe that this team is dead and buried when we saunter off the field at the end of, at the end of the game. I mean, that's basically all I'm going to try and say about this. Uh, I mean, I think if you look back to the game against uh, Columbus last Sunday, I mean, there's going to be, it's kind of been the um, hot button issue here. I think on the, uh, um, in our little corner of the internet for the last week or so, I mean, a lot of, I mean, just, takes out the wazoo hot right fire. from this is venom <laughs> super hot fire everywhere it's like hell froze over in the uh, winter yeah, like what the hell man? and unfollowed like, <laughs> and subtweeted retweeted blocks yeah, dude, like more, more blocks than like the average game by Hakeem Olajuwon that's crazy people tell like, like fuck themselves um, it a, uh, yeah it's it's been a rough one <laughs> Well, I purposely stayed away from all social media this week, so I don't, yeah. I think that's a pro I'm, move. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> pro move, to be honest. Like the only reason why we're here is because we have to be. <laughs> we have to. We let us all be real. Like like this this fan being being a fan of this team is like you might as well be in prison at this point, man. Like. <laughs> Yeah. I, I just I feel like it's important to to uh, just remind you know everyone that myself and a few others were lambasted for the uh, egregious fucking thing of trying to spread optimism. So I just I, I apologize to everyone for that. 
I apologize for not conceding to the fact that we're fucking, you know, complete failures and losers, and we will forever be failures and losers. So, uh, well, I mean, I've been, I think I've been purposefully um, quiet on this issue, but um, I'm I'm going to reiterate my the stance that I've always kind of uh, held. You know, you know, like there's this thing where you can always be appreciative of the past, be grateful for the present but also be optimistic for the future, you know? And, you know, like, like, I think I, I, I understand where both sides are coming from. You know, I mean, I understand like there's this really big um, burden that comes that mostly stems from this uh, result of the team, not really pulling out enough at the stops, you know, to put, win their first championship. But I've always also held this belief that, you know, and I think it's the, what so many other people have been trying to say, is that you don't necessarily have to look at the future through the lens of the past, like all the time, you know, because the thing, the preconditions that um, basically allowed for events that happened in the past may not necessarily exist anymore. And if we have enough reason to believe that the um, path around the organization has changed enough, in my opinion, then by all means, you know, like we, we have things to be excited about. I mean, in 17, I was very critical of this team. You know, I, I sincerely thought that a rebuild was needed and that it very much felt like the end of an era. And now in 18, you know, like this, this season's gone above and beyond my, even the wildest expectations that I had going in. Because, I mean, not only did we win the fucking shield, like we broke the, the points record. If you ask me, like I think this team's pretty – um, ahead of schedule in terms of uh, being a potential contender. And, you know, I mean, like, I, I don't necessarily think anymore that just because certain things happened in the past, you know, it doesn't mean that it's going to define you as a team going forward. And that's basically what I'm going to state. And that's pretty much putting my standpoint in the most diplomatic terms that I could possibly put. And if you disagree with me, you know, that's fine. Like you can call me whatever the hell you want, but that's just what I believe. You know, I think definitely, definitely don't think necessarily that this team, this team's ending was written last Sunday, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not even that far off from that. And I think that's the part that like just kind of frustrates me is you, you can, you know, I, I fully understand where the pessimism and the negativity comes from. But like, if your if your entire mindset stems from you know some shitty playoff knockout that happened in like fucking nineteen ninety nine, and because of that, that somehow one hundred percent definitely absolutely means that we're gonna you know that's it we're done out of the out of the playoffs. It's just it's stupid, you know. Like, I I don't I just can't understand how this team can have the season they've had and people still have that like absolutist idea in their head that. Yeah, we totally suck. We're definitely gonna lose. You know, it's it's the it's the the mindset of guaranteed failure, despite everything that happened this year, is like the most frustrating point. Uh, and and I just don't see why there can't be, you know, kind of the happy medium of okay, yeah, you can totally acknowledge, you know, the the pretty shitty history of of this team's playoff past, but also understand that you know twenty nineteen ninety six through two thousand seventeen has absolutely nothing to do with. 2018 because you know they just have nothing to do with it they're fundamentally different years different teams 
I mean, shit, even at this point, not even managers are fucking same. You know, so it's just, it, it to me, it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. And it, Tom had a, an interesting post where, you know, even like this whole that symmetric mentality doesn't even hold any kind of weight because if you really look at the Metro years, there was nothing like that symmetric. It was nothing shocking. Like the team just sucked every year. Like the Metro Stars as a whole from, from 96 through 2005 were pretty much any team. They were almost always like the lower seed. They were expected to lose. So anytime they were knocked out, it should have been like, oh, no, my heart's crushed. You should have expected to be you know, knocked out. It's really been made the last couple of years, you know, in 2013 when you win the Shield and, you know, uh, 2015 when you win the Shield and then, you know, this year potentially, you know, who knows what the fuck's happened. Yeah, then I can see that, you know, an argument of, you know, you're such a great team and you have high expectations, they don't meet it. But like, if you're squeaking in as a fifth and sixth seed, um, it shouldn't be some ground, you know, some earth shaking, fucking whole, uh, a heart ripping uh, situation when you're when you get knocked out by a first or second seed team. It's just, it's just, it's stupid. And 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 again, the crazy thing to me is when you try to reason with some of these people and say no, like have some confidence. You know, you 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 have certain. Do you have a certain uh, a voice within his fan base who gets like players on their podcast and, you know, five seconds before and five seconds after the interview, you're talking about how the team is like totally going to fucking fail and it ta- the, the, the team's a failure until they're not like for real. How like the fuck? Like to me, that just that, to me, that's just insane. I don't know. You, you, you don't have to be a homer and you don't have to, you know, have have uh, have blinders on to to the realities of what could potentially happen, but again, it's just the the one hundred percent guaranteed absolutism that this team is going to always fail because they're perpetual failures, even though they did you know they broke the MLS season record and points record and wins record and all this other shit. It's I don't know. It's 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 fucking stupid to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to really try and. Uh delve too much i think on um you know i think looking at this or you know like discussing about what people should or shouldn't think about how to feel about the playoffs because i mean the playoffs are such a crapshoot as it is and i don't think anyone really has the perfect blueprint to uh that guaranteed playoff success every single time i think if anything you know like the it's always been a weird thing about the playoffs because this five or six game sample is so highly elevated that people are going to draw all kinds of conclusions from five or six games Yeah, that somehow negates an even bigger body of work, which kind of says something I've always kind of not really agreed with um, in a way, but it's also kind of like in part the nature of the tournament that, you know, I mean, this, the, the, it's because of the fact that, you know, it's, the playoffs samples elevated and people put a lot of stock emotionally into it. And of course, you know, I mean, I expect there to be like a lot of really big emotional fallout when things don't really might not go as expected, but Hey, I mean, the point is that maybe what I'm going to try and hint at is even though we're considered the favorites going in, you know, it was still with odds of 33% that we were going to win the whole thing. That was still two thirds of a chance that we weren't. And really, honestly, in a league like MLS, which is so heavily, um, just so much parody in it. Like, it's really hard to say with confidence that um, it's really hard to be very definitive about 
what the outcomes are going to be. You know, I mean, we can be excited about our chances. We can talk them up. We can talk about how we are the favorites, but we still have to recognize that there is no perfect science to winning in the playoffs other than playing mistake-free yeah. soccer for about five or six games, which, you know, I mean, I think we have the capacity to do that, I think, a bit more this year than we have in the past years, which is what, it's just kind of the grounded confidence that I have going into this Columbus game. But before we talk about the second leg, I think it would be a good idea to talk about the first because we do have to learn certain things that stood out in that first leg before we start talking about the second. And if you ask me, I think um, a lot of the, the result in the result in the first leg was kind of the uh, product of us um, not showing up. You know, I think we kind of do have to shoulder a lot of our blame. A lot of the blame. You know, it's not like we were particularly outplayed. It's not like we, um, it's not like we, you know, we, we, we made some, we, we, but it's also not like we created a lot of chances and failed to capitalize on them. You know, it's kind of a bit more some, this weird thing where for some odd reason, I think five or six guys in our team who are usually incredibly solid players just simultaneously and concurrently had really bad games and i think a lot of the improvement that you're going to have to see in the second leg is going to have to be stemming from these guys bouncing back from the lackluster performances that they had on the road against columbus and um i mean just but even then you know you 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 look at how that game transpired and we had two or three good chances to at least bag one away goal. I think uh, the ones that come to yeah. mind, Tim Parker hitting a post off the corner. You have Aaron Long, we had that free header who she just kind of headed right at Zach Steffen. And of course, you know, Zach Steffen again coming to Columbus's rescue by denying BWB right on the doorstep. You know, I think I have a feeling that we wouldn't be quite as frustrated as we are now if one of those chances hits the back of the net. And we leave Columbus with a one-one draw coming back to Ripple Arena. Um, thoughts? Yeah, I mean that that uh, you you come out with a road goal that that changes everything. I mean that that's that's huge. You know, going into this game, we give up a goal. You know that that's that, that hill becomes even even uh, even steeper. You know, now all of a sudden you got to win, you know, three to one. If they score two, now you got to win four to two. So, you know, not getting that away goal is, is rough. But like you said, you know, it's, it's kind of just being unlucky. I'm looking at the who scored um, player rating for the game. The man of the match was Stefan. And it's good to, you know, he had an incredible save uh, late in the game. He had a couple of good, uh, a couple of good uh, saves, you know, not as good saves as, as the one uh, from, from Bradley, but, you know, he, he had a good game. He had a great game. And for for me, Iguain was the the man of the match for them. I think he he fucking destroyed it when he came in at halftime, and I knew that was going to happen too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he's yeah, so man. good; it's not even funny. And you know, l- listening to Parker describe what happened on that goal was interesting because for me, it kind of just shows how how intelligent he is and, and how well he is at reading the game and. It's funny because if you listen to Parker describe it, it's not even it's not even a mental lapse by our guys. It's not even like 
you know, for five seconds, you know, our team shut off. Like a lot of the, a lot of other people are saying it, he kind of just took advantage of how the team plays. Parker Bates describes it as Iguain taking advantage of how that back line and their offensive midfielders rotate in positions. And we see it all the time. We've talked about it all the time. Um, and that's one of the reasons why our, our back line has been so good because they're so good at their movement and reading each other and covering space and you know rotating and stuff like that. But that also creates space. And when you have someone like uh, Iguain who's just so smart – um, making a you know making you know making the run uh, the runs that he did it was more just exploiting basically the system he basically exploited how the back line is fundamentally supposed to handle that situation and you know it they got a goal you know you, 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 you it's one of those things where you can't even really um blink go too hard on any individual player in that moment if they basically did what they were told to do and 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 something that works nine out of ten times uh, unfortunately yo it's the playoffs if this is a midseason game whatever not that big of a deal but it's the playoffs and that one moment that that one exploited moment of the system or how they're supposed to play now puts us in a whole one nothing yeah um you know you know i think when you guys bring up uh no not gonzalo higuain federico higuain um <laughs> um yeah, when you bring up the better Higuain brother, how about that? Um, <laughs> I mean, really, I think you know, I think this, this some of the supporting underlying stats really do support that as well. I think um, uh, we, all intents and purposes, this game kind of boiled down to maybe both sides having one or two quality chances, and the difference on today is that Columbus took theirs and we didn't, because if you look at the expected goal numbers actually like um columbus only really generated an xg of about 0.5 at home which kind of indicates you know i mean they didn't really have a lot of they didn't take a lot of quality shots this game a lot of the uh a lot of their chances may more or less came on very the zardas shot i think by breakdown is by far and away like the biggest portion of their xg percentage you know kind of like what how the bradley wright phillips chance right in front of goal was the uh, biggest portion of ours. And if you look at our XG, you know, which was about 0.86 on the road against a very solid team, um, it was clear, you know, this was a game that lacked a lot of quality. And um, it took one moment of genius from Higuain to just kind of change everything. And the reason that is that I think but it's also notable that um, we were limited to such uh, poor, such a, uh, we were limited to such sp- a sparse amount of chances. I think partially in part as a result of the game plan that Great Burhalter started with. You know, I think we looked at the starting lineup and we we're like, okay, Iguain's not on. Maybe we have a chance of going at this. But deployed his team in a four-four-two formation, which currently in the realm of soccer tactics is actually coming back back as a defensive formation as a defensive um defensively geared formation because of its ability to create all these low blocks in midfield where you can create numerical advantages as a result of having your midfield four stay flat and having your two and having your two forwards either kind of pit 
spread out wide to harass the wings or tuck inside to create another block in the inside. And, you know, I think you could see that it had a clear effect in the way that our midfield was trying to build up in this game because, you know, a lot of the guys who we were kind of used to seeing in the midfield having really good games, you know, they were kind of thrown off. Sean Davis making a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes as a result of this um the numerical advantage that the four four two that per halters four four two created in this game in the center of the field, you saw Tyler Adams starting to become overwhelmed as the game went on. Uh, once Higuain came on the field and they switched up their formation once again, and I think most importantly is that like it's it really disrupted the play from the center to the wings, which was kind of which has kind of always been a bread and butter. I think when we spread the play out into the right hand channel in particular to uh, go for Muil and Murillo out there on the right wing. What was notable about that for me is that when Burhalter's 4-4-2 in the first half, for the most part, um, really disrupted the supply chain from the center out to the wings. Royer had 16 touches all game. Yeah, as that was... Rough, was rough seeing. Yeah. And on the right, you know, uh, they knew, they, they, anticipated, they anticipated a lot of attacks coming out on the right. And as a result of that, you know, I think they were prepared for Amir. You know, they funneled him out wide as a result of keeping that really compact block in the center and just dealt with it from there. You know, I think it was just a very, I mean, you have to credit Greg Berhalter, I think, you know, once again, showing why I think like his X's and O's are, I think, probably one of the best in MLS, if not the best in MLS, you know, and um, solving Greg Berhalter was always going to be the most critical thing for me in this playoff series. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like we've come up with um, the results that we might want from this game. I mean, what, what, what's interesting about that game is we did have, we did have some good moments. You know, we did, we, there were some, uh, there were some kind of spots here and there you know, a little five, seven increments where you can, you kind of felt like, okay, maybe they're starting to uh, get a little bit of control of the game. Um, and they, they had eight shots, you know, only two were on target, but um, it wasn't like their attack was completely anemic. You know, the best chances did come from us, not them. And they did it away. So, you know, I think pretty much everyone acknowledged that the biggest, the biggest worry going into the playoffs was going to be Columbus. And I'll be honest, I kind of, I want to say downplay it, but I slowly progressed. I progressively felt uh, more at ease playing against Columbus because of the, you know, second half of, um, of the last home game, even though we lost the second half was just, I mean, I've mentioned it a million times. It completely different than the first half, and completely different than even you know the the whole first game where we tied up in Columbus uh, earlier this year. Um, and the fact that you know they hadn't seen Gaku play for more than forty five minutes, um, you know they never faced our full back eleven, uh, our, our, our full back four, or even our best eleven. So I mean, there were I think reasonable things to to point to to be a little bit more confident and. In some ways, I think they kind of showed it. Um, short of one brilliant moment by Iguain, we walk out of there zero zero draw. I mean, that's you know, you know. That, that that's what makes me feel confident about about Sunday. I mean, that's one of the more flat 
kind of blah performances I've seen from us this season. And I mean, it took that one moment of brilliance from Higuain to, 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 to bag that, that goal. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, we really should have been zero zero. I'm, I'm, I'm really confident for Sunday. Yeah. And I, and I think when, when, when you talk about silver linings as well, I think one thing that we do kind of have to touch on a little bit is that, you know, I mean, Amir was getting a lot of touches on the on out there on the right, but he proceeded to have probably the worst game I've seen him play uh, with the first team, unfortunately. Yeah. And we know that Amir doesn't generally put up stinkers like that this year. And I think what kind of makes me, you know, a bit confident is that you know if they try and um, try their luck again by giving him as much time on the right wing as he might like. You know, I, I, I don't really anticipate that he's going to put up the stinker that he did in Columbus once two games in a row. And, you know, I mean, we, we saw it with Amir on, on last Sunday. I mean, if you don't have it, you don't have it. And, you know, like routine crosses that he generally does a really good job of putting in dangerous areas were either flying over the crossbar or like being hooked into the stands. And I think it was around maybe the 35th minute around it, it, when I was, when this was going on. And I was like, shit, like this isn't the level of expected consistency that ex- of excellent consistency that we've been expecting from Amir this season. And wow. because of that, you know, like I don't really think that, um, the, I don't really think that he's going to be as bad as he was last Sunday which kind of makes me a bit confident as well. You know, like I, a lot of our chances in the game on next Sunday, uh, sorry, this Sunday, I should say, rely on a lot of those guys who underperformed on last Sunday, having rebounding to the form that we've seen them play at and be capable of playing at the season. And I have a good feeling that they'll be able to do it at home because if we can't, then we don't deserve to advance. Yeah. It's a simple effect. We don't deserve to advance if we, do, if, we, if we can't do it at home. But I think they can. I don't know. I, I think even with Amir, it, the first, I want to say, 10, maybe 15 minutes, I thought he actually was doing pretty well. Um, he just progressively fell apart throughout the game. This was, I think, by far the worst game I've ever seen him play. Like, he was he was bad. <laughs> Yeah, man. yeah. I mean, and and so what? What I thought was interesting was at the beginning of the game, uh, he did a good job of intercepting a lot of those diagonal balls, and you could tell it was you could tell they were they were doing this on purpose, where um, they were forcing the press in a way that basically the only it remo- uh, removed a lot of the passing options and basically forced him where the only passing option they had was to switch to field, whether just directly across or diagonal. And they would do that in a way that um, would give this, uh, uh, this appearance that, you know, the guy was open, but he really wasn't. Amir was kind of just sitting back waiting for that pass to happen. And as soon as the pass happened, you kind of see him run and press a guy and try to turn the ball over or just flat out intercept. And he did that the, pretty well. The first couple of, uh, I say maybe the first ten minutes or so, but after that he just started getting burned. Like he wasn't intercepting, he wasn't you know he wasn't pressing. I mean he they were they were executing that 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 uh, that switch with ease without any problem at all. 
So even defensively, I think he wasn't doing that well. There, there was, there was one moment. Um, I can't even remember when it was in the game, but uh, the pass happened. It was, it was a switch, and he. I mean, the guy kind of just waltzed right into the box, and I think it was Long who may have saved his ass. But I was like, whoa, like what is, what is going on? Like it wasn't even just his his uh, his Michael Bradley like crossing. Um, it was his defense, like just from every aspect of his of his game was absolutely fucking atrocious. Um, Davis had a bit of a stinker too, but that may have been, you know, I don't know if it's just an off game or just how you know that how they set up in that four four two block. They you know maybe gave him some trouble. I thought Gaku actually had a pretty good game. He did. Like our four best, our four or five best chances that game all came from him. Both at the run of play and also on on set pieces, so he had a couple of moments that really could have changed the game. But ultimately, you know, someone else has to finish it. Um, I'm trying to think who else had a kind of a poor game. I, um, I, I, I can chip in something actually, but it's not a it's not a player. Like I don't know what the hell was going on with the set pieces this game, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, like eight eight corners. corners uh, the like three of which they played short, trying to do some kind of fancy den twenty fifteen throwback nonsense, and you know I, I I feel like I read something that me- that kind of explained what the whole purpose of that was, and they kind of explained how it worked. It was something weird about how they were kind of doing it to to throw off Columbus on the set pieces they were actually setting into the box. Apparently, a lot of our and I got a, I didn't get a chance to watch the game a second time, um, but it definitely seemed like our guys were penetrating the box pretty well. They just weren't getting you know the best balls in, but some of that may have been because of the weird shit they were kind of doing before to again kind of unbalancing them to not know what to expect if they were going to do a short pass or if they were going to you know do a pass into the box. So I don't know. I'm I'm torn on that whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I mean, the, the, there was a point in the game where I just kind of threw my hands up and just be like, can we just yeah. send in a simple ball into the box with how well yeah. the winning hitters in the box off a set pieces this game? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, that's another thing that I don't really anticipate um, will be too much of an issue. I mean, I hope it's not like what we saw against Chivas when we had Jesse uh, having Kamar try the long throw into the box for the first 15 minutes to great success. Oh my God. That was painful. I forgot about that garbage for the last 75. Like, (laughs) dude, that was so fucking frustrating. You know what? You know, it's one reason why I have a little bit of confidence is I don't expect galaxy brain. This game. (laughs) Right. Like if, if, if I, I have no reason to think otherwise, but if Jesse March was still the manager, we would be going into this game in some like weird fucked up formation. It would be like a four four two diamond with Gaku as like a defensive mid next to Davis, and like Adams as a ten, Royer and Bradley up top, and like BWP would be the ten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it worked. We had so many chances. Yeah, he would, actually there you go. He would probably put Gaku as a striker. He put. You'll put Roy Rikaku as a striker, uh, Bradley as the ten, um, Wheel as as the defensive mid. Like I, I, it would be a it would be a fucking disaster. Like I'm sorry, because like- Burhalter was so in his fucking head, he was so in his brain. 
and, and, and Jesse just could not stop himself. Ever since 2015, when Dax flipped out on him about the whole, you know, we don't have a plan B, he's been on this mission for like just doing weird shit. And I think we've seen that pretty much every single playoff since then. Uh, man. Or any or, or or any like huge game. We saw it in Toronto where Adams was a 10. Um, we saw it against Chivas. We saw it against US and Cup with this weird fucking rotation. So the, fa- the fact that Chris flat out said in an interview recently that like, no, like, there's no reason to overthink this. We had very good looks. Um, we had very good looks uh, uh, in the game. Um, you know, good chances. They just need to execute their stuff better, and they just need to kind of just overall play better. I I have very little reason to think he's going to overthink this, and they're going to go in there and and play well. If they if they start this game the way they played in that second half of our home game, then I have zero doubts, zero doubts that that we'll do what we have to do. It sounds like Mike LaBelle fantasy hour, man. But what do you have for us, Gus? Um, so if we're talking about players that we think didn't uh, perform well, I'm gonna I'm gonna come through with a Ewing theory <laughs> uh, <laughs> of my own, uh, and, and I actually think you guys might have touched on this a couple of weeks ago. But does our midfield work better with Riza and Davis? as opposed to Tyler Adams and Oof. Sean Davis. Oh, wow. We did touch upon Wow. That. Oh, man. Um, I think we talked about um, how, you know, y- you can have a bit of a different look, I think, with Rizzo and Davis in that midfield. And this is, before anyone says anything, like this is not an endorsement to, like, drop <laughs> Tyler Adams because I don't think yeah. that that's the move. And that would be kind of, the galaxy brain moment yeah. that we just talked about, yeah. but it's true, you know, like Davis and Riza can work really well against teams that don't try and play us disruptively using physicality. It wouldn't work against Philadelphia. It wouldn't work against a team like DC, but it could definitely do a job against a more finesse team. You know, you know, we saw it against Atlanta. We saw it against um, Toronto. Toronto, yeah. I mean, it's true. Um, you know, I think Tyler did kind of drop off a little bit as, you know, uh, as I think they started losing their defensive assignments, I think as the game kind of where we're on. But uh, I, I, I don't think it's a there, – there's this kind of Ewing theory thing where the midfield works better without Tyler Adams because we also have to recognize that early on in that game, like so much – chances were being created off of turnovers as a result of having Tyler and Alex wheel on, on the pitch at the same time. And, you know, I think I'd have it again record that Tyler has saved our asses so many times this season that, yeah. um, you know, I think, uh, I think I'll chalk it up to one bad game for Tyler. And, you know, it was, it was a game that started well, that just kind of, fell off the wheels where the wheels fell off a little bit. Cause we all, the whole team kind of simultaneously lost your composure once Zarda scored. So, um, you know, it's true. I think I, I agree with Gus in recognizing that, you know, Tyler maybe wasn't quite having 
the impact that he could have had and the impact that we've seen him have this season. But I chalk it more up to, I think, maybe uh, youthful exuberance causing a lot of mental errors and letting frustration maybe get a bit get get to him a bit too much. I think. I, I think there's definitely. I, I will agree that I, I honestly think that there there are teams, there are situations and styles where Ariza and and Sean Davis pairing would definitely work better than uh than adams i right. do think there are scenarios out there but it, it's tough because at the same time like it's it's tyler adams you know what i mean like you kind of have to play him just like you have to play you know doing you know what i mean like it's he's basically the best player you can't you get venture but you're your your best player one of your best players no matter what the the matchup is you're you're almost obligated to find a way and it's not like you know even 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 if there are certain styles or whatever that, you know, that defensive pairing uh, does better with. It's not like it's awful if, if, you know, Adams is there. I mean, Adams, Adams is, is the gem of our Academy. I, I think he's proved that he is a crucial player and, and, you know, we are definitely a different team without him, but it, it is an interesting theory. And I definitely think there is something there because we've seen this team play very, very well without him um, after some pretty big adjustments after that Montreal game, because, you know, Montreal, that was a game where we either we could have used Adams or maybe if the adjustments that, that Chris made for Toronto and Atlanta, you know, if he did that for the Montreal game, maybe we don't get, you know, walloped three to nothing. But um I, I'm I'm interested to see what I'm interested to see what Jesse does though, because I mean, I think if there's for me, I think Chris has been very, very good with his game day management. Um, the biggest complaint for me is going to be not using that third sub and not putting Riz on the field. Uh, yeah. If there was a game that he needed to be on, it was that one, 100%. So, so I wonder what he does on Sunday. I mean, does he does he find a way to start Rizzo? Maybe he starts him on the wing. But then I don't know if I agree with that because I think we need someone like Milan there to kind of be that disruptor. Um, we've seen Rizzo not work that well outside. Maybe he starts Riza as a 10 and, and Gaku starts out wide. I, I don't know. The but, bizarre um, dark horse option here would be if Sean Davis gets the drop and it's Riza and Adams in midfield, ooh. which I, I don't think play? we've seen. Well, we have. Uh, in the early going into CCL when Davis was playing as the 10, it was Riza and Adam, uh, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about uh, that. Yeah. Back when uh, Kaku was unfortunately um, simultaneously being shackled by Simonian and then being shackled by Jesse Marsh on the bench, um, but <laughs> <laughs> that all changed quickly. I don't think I don't necessarily think that, that happens, but I think to kind of illustrate my thinking a little bit, um, I think Reza and Davis like offer a lot of the same thing. You know, I think. In terms of passing range and in terms of technique, you know, I think it's clear that, you know, Riz is a more technically capable player in some ways than Tyler Adams is, you know, in terms of his ability to spot a pass, in terms of his ability to make a pass to start to transition. And in his, in his general passing ability, his passing range is a lot longer generally than Tyler's is. It's what he doesn't have yeah. is Tyler's motor and his ability to kind of you know, make some late surging runs to pull defenders to him when he wants to. And that's one of the critical things that I don't think we've really seen much from Tyler, I think, in that last game is that, you know, he wasn't like, 
I think we, we yeah, he wasn't decisive. Yeah, no, he he wasn't quite. You know, like when we've seen Tyler at his best, when he's had opportunities to make late runs from deep to pull defenders away from the ball, like he's proven that he's had that capability of being able to create plays through his movement from deep. You know, by making himself by making himself a recipient for the ball as um, making these late runs from deep. But what I realize into Armis is that like he's been utilized a bit more as being the so-called first presser if we happen to lose the box in the HD18, uh, or if there's a header coming out from uh, the box that can be challenged in the HD18, that he's generally the first person who will be there challenging the player going for the ball. And, you know, he generally does win quite a fair bit of those contests. So, you know, again, you have, ver- you have varying contrasts that, Asking styles where Armis kind of opts for a bit more of a containment strategy, whereas under Jesse, maybe you'd see a Tyler going for a bit more of an all-in sort of balls to the wall strategy, leaving Davis as the only covering midfielder. Um, I think what could be interesting is if Armis goes back to letting Tyler make a lot of those late runs to try and be an additional harasser inside the box or trying to give that or or to create more of those numerical overloads in the edge of the box. You know, I think that could be something that we've kind of, that's kind of been lost a bit in this transition from Jesse to Armis that maybe would be good to bring back as an added wrinkle in the offense that they're not prepared for. But other than that, you know, I think to kind of maybe put a bow in this whole thing, um, um, I think you do have to stick with Tyler in midfield against Columbus, just simply because now, especially that Higuain will probably be playing the full ninety against us. You know, yeah. that's going to require a lot of attention, and Tyler is probably the best guy to do that, just simply because he can run you off the field, and if he can make Higuain's life a living hell by not giving him a sniff in and around him, you know, I think that'd be that do really good for us at home. Yeah. I, I, th- I think if I had to, to pick one key to the match, it's going to be uh, our wings. Our attacking wingers need to drastically set, uh, step it up. Um, I think Wheel has, you know, improved a lot in the last, uh, you know, two, three months. Um, but it's still not consistent as consistent as it should be. Um, Royer, that was, I mean, I know he was coming back from, you know, for the injury, but that was like just shockingly horrific that game. Um, so he needs to step it up. If he's physically incapable of doing it, cause he's still kind of recovering, then it's going to require, you know, Etienne to step up. It's going to require Yvonne to step up. Uh, uh Ivan, it's going it, to, it's going to require, we need goals this game. What is what it comes down to? So, you know, Brad is Brad, but Brad is only one person. You know, it, the way this team is kind of built and designed to to, to play, it, it can't just be funneled in, into one person. And that's that was one of our biggest strengths for most of the year was our ability to uh, to score from from so many different people in so many different ways. And that's what opened so much space for Bradley. That's what made him so dangerous. And I feel like we haven't seen that. And that's probably why our goals have gone down because we don't see. You know, we don't have as many threats, I think, as, as our wingers aren't as threatening as they were before, especially with, you know, with losing Velo. Um, 
you know, Royer's kind of taken a, a little bit of a dip. So I have full, I have full faith in, in Brad that if, if, if he gets four good chances, he's getting one in statistically speaking, it's going to happen, but we can't only rely on that. You know, we, we, we definitely need our, 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 uh, our attacking wingers to really, really step up this game and, and, and do something. I mean, if, if Royer is like 0.4% quicker, he gets to that goal, uh, to the ball before Stefan oh, yeah. then probably oh, scores. Totally yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, that realistically. Hello? Hello. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, no, I'll say that uh, you know the the oh. difference there really comes down to at least what I think is really just uh, Royer being a hundred percent and not being a hundred percent. He he gets to that ball first, you know, or or quicker any other time. You know, he he's not the fastest guy in the team, but he's quick. But you could tell he was kind of struggling a little bit there to 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 get there. So. You know, I, I hope I hope he's as close as he can because when this team was 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 really dangerous, it was it was because we had Velo and we had Royer both just doing things. And with with losing Velo, we, we have yet to get that kind of production on the attack and that creativity and that playmaking and, and that just that just overall attacking threat on that side. We haven't found a way to, to replace that directly. Um, and on the other side, you know, Royer has been more involved with the attack because he's basically been used, you know, more as a second striker, but that requires him to physically be healthy enough and good enough to do that. And when he is, and when he's on, I mean, it's Royer, you know, he got what, 10 goals this season. That's a good amount of goals to, to, to get the problem. Royer is he's not going to offer anything else on the creativity side. So that's why we need, that's why we need some, some, some other guys to step up. This is going to be the biggest game in Etienne's career up until this point, I think, because I think a lot is going to be asked from him. And same thing with Muil. Um, I, I, I don't want to say anything negative about or say anything too harsh on Royer because I think he is a quality player, but I think it's clear that last game that he's nowhere near 100%. And if he's nowhere near 100%, I think it falls on to, to, uh, to Etienne and Muil. Those two guys have to dig in, and they, and they have to really step up this game, I think. Yeah, you know, I think, yeah, I, that, that kind of doesn't for me. Anyone else have any thoughts before we proceed on to the questions? Or no, I'm just you know, for me, I'm really curious to see uh, what uh, Ivan's mm. role is going to be. Yeah, no, he's kind of a he's kind of the wild card for me in this one. I think we've seen glimpses of what he can bring to the table, but I don't know if the understanding with the rest of the team is quite there yet where he can be enough of a viable threat i think it's a pretty big gamble because i have a feeling that you know you're going to see him start to become an even bigger player next year yeah you're going to be certain actually i still want to reiterate that he has mike Rella level on ball ability and he can be, the, he has the potential to be either this great bench weapon to come off late in the game, or to even be the potential answer out there in, on the wing if, and if we need a replacement for goal scoring winger. But 
it's not quite there yet. I mean, there's always going to take some time. This was a signing that was made with next year in mind, and a lot of the other players that were signed in the you know in the summer transfer window. I mean, a few of them have been have had similar stories. I mean, people were getting up in arms about that Kachechny kid who signed with uh, Portland. Uh, oh yeah. And you haven't really heard a sniff from him, and you haven't really heard anything coming from him. But you don't really see uh, Tibbers fans getting a bit too worried about him just yet. So, I mean, I'm going to reiterate with Andy Ivan. I mean, I'm going to kind of scale out, scale down my expectations for him. I think this season, but you know, I, I'm not that just because he doesn't have his chemistry with the team just yet. You know, doesn't mean that I don't think that he can't he can't be a weapon next year. But I think that's yeah. kind of all. It- me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think he's definitely had some, uh, he's definitely had some, some, some pretty good individual moments. Um, I, he definitely has disappeared. I think probably more often than not, unfortunately. But at the same time, I think anyone who's truly like really like dug deep into to understanding how the team's supposed to play and really observe the movements, the the movements of the players and and how they rotate. And it's not just a back line. The how you know you you see. How many times do you see uh, of Royer and even Gaku sometimes when Gaku is playing out wide switch like one run there there you know Gaku is on the left the next run he's on the right the next run he's in the middle these guys do they move so much they rotate so much and and a lot of a lot of the 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 clicking kind of relies on all of these guys understanding their roles and understanding their movements and understanding where kind of everyone else is supposed to be doing and what their tendencies are. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people in this fan base really, really underestimate how difficult it is to learn this system, despite the dozens of players who have openly said this is a very difficult system to understand. Some fans still like don't understand that. So I'm I'm going to hold off until, you know, Ivan has a full preseason and he has like some significant minutes under his belt to really start form, formulating an opinion like, okay, maybe he's, you know, kind of pinpointing certain characteristics about his play that just doesn't fit, you know, but just kind of painting his broad brush of, oh, he sucks because he's really just not understanding really what he's supposed to do in certain, mom- uh, in certain moments. And he doesn't fully understand, you know, uh, 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 you know, the other runs of the other players and, and, and where, where their minds are in certain moments, it's I, I can't you know it's hard for me to to rag on him too much, um, but he does have quality on an individual basis. He is a very talented player, and and we've seen moments of that. So who knows, man? Maybe he fucking comes out of nowhere and 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 shocks everyone. Maybe he ends up being the fucking hero on Sunday. Because I tell you what, you know, I, I've seen enough games of his. You know, uh, 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 you know when when he was still rumored to to. You know, be a thing where he's got in great individual talent. I'm telling you, he, he is someone who could be a difference maker. But given how this system is played, a lot of times the difference is the system. And and no matter how good you are individually, if you're not clicking with everything else, that ability to to make that difference is kind of mitigated. And I think you see that with Gaku. You know, he's become more ne- lethal the more he's understood the system. And even though he has a racked on an assist. And unfortunately, a couple of months, it's not like he's not creating a shitload of chances every game. I feel like the chances he's creating are getting better and better by the game. We just need our guys, you know, to kind of uh, to kind of finish them. But 
yeah, I, I think this is someone who who still has a chance to 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 do something special um, on Sunday. But I think everyone should probably temper their expectations if anyone even still has any high expectations for him, and kind of just wait for next year. Yeah, you know, I mean, we we, we saw this from Gonzalo Verón as well, I think, and I think that's probably. What the uh, discourse really reminds me of, I'm not going to write off this guy too soon because I think as Gonzalo proved, you know, you can always come back next season and just prove everyone wrong, you know, have a really good solid season off the bench. So I'm, I'm really saying this right now. I think anyone who's trashing him is going to be, you know, is going to be eaten. I think their words the same way that people ended up like eating crow about Gonzalo the next yep. year. So. All I'm really saying is, is I mean, I mean, just just try not to over overreact a bit too much to a really small, limited sample size, sizes because all this guy's really gotten is fifteen five to fifteen minute cameos intermittently throughout the year. Like, don't worry too much about him just yet. He wasn't yeah, and, and, a huge factor. And the once and the one start he got, I mean, he wasn't even you know match fit really. I think he came out kind of early to that game. I think it was against uh, Houston. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, it was a product of rotation anyway. So it was mostly playing with like uh, the reserves. So, yeah, uh, I mean, that's all I could. Uh, that's all I really got for I think this playoff series. I think we'll uh, now would be a good time to move on to the questions. And we have one and a half this today. And the reason why I say that is because um I I posed I posed the uh, the uh, petition for questions as being the calm before the storm, and Phil is asking, "Are you phrasing it that way on purpose to upset Pablo Amaro?" <laughs> and I have no idea who that is, and I don't really care. <laughs> Amer- American soccer personalities do not exist in my in this in this podcast <laughs> universe. I'm sorry, like. Look, I, 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 dude, I can't imagine making a career out of cozying up to all these fucking nerds, yeah. man. Like, forget that shit, bro. Like, so I hope that answers your question, Phil. Um, yes, no, who cares? <laughs> That's basically what I'm saying, Phil. Um, the serious question this week, though, coming from Tom Bellows, actually, a friend of the show, Tom. Hi, Tom. Um, asking, unless it would take ages, maybe a rundown on the end of season RBNY2 and who you could see maybe getting first team in its next year and who might be churned out. Yeah, this might be a long run one, actually. Um, but it's all right. We'll, tr- we'll try and uh, get down to it. Uh, we'll try and get the quick and dirty in this one. Um, I think we were... First of all, I think we're also still planning on getting uh, Eric on here at some point to to kind of go over some of the stuff too. So, yeah, to to really go, I think a bit more in depth. I think particularly with who Red Bull Two might bring in for next yeah. season. But I think some, I think first of all, we'll begin by shouting out the uh, baby bulls for yet another great season down up there in Montclair. Up, down, up. Really, really depends on where you live, I guess. But <laughs> whatever it was, it was a really good season. Another pretty. Good solid season of learning up there in Montclair. I think a number of unheralded guys really made a lot of gains, I think, as the season went on. So I think there's a lot of intrigue because there's a lot of bubble guys, in my opinion. You know, I think 
it was a result of you know Red Bull two maybe not really taking the league by storm, but finding your feet towards the end of the season and going on a pretty good run before losing to the uh, eventual champions again. I mean, saw a lot of good stuff from guys. I think up and down the roster um, in Montclair this year, and guys I could see getting first team minutes next year. The first name on my mind might be Jared Shroud. I think he's uh, he's another one in that kind of mold. Uh, that sort of potential Florian Velo mold where he can contribute in on the uh, wide positions with goals and assists because he's a really clever player who makes things happen on the right or on the left, even in spite of the fact that he's not the fastest player in the world. So I think he'd be a really good squad option, potentially, as early as, as maybe halfway through the season next year. Yeah. Um, another guy I could see coming up, you know, I think Alan Yanez is going to be on a lot of people's lips because he's locked down yeah. that right back spot. Dude, like his so second half, his, he, the last couple of games, man, he really, really, really fucking stepped up, I think. Yeah, no, no, that kid rips. Like, the, uh, they've done it again, if you ask me. They've been covered another Central American gem yep. from uh, Guatemala this time instead of Panama. But nonetheless, you know, like, you can you can see how good Jan is, is might be in your future. Uh, Christian Caceres, I think, was, al- was always going to be the guy earmarked for significant contributions next year. And, you know, I think definitely Hassan and Dom is on his way as well. So those are guys that potentially see getting yeah, the you, Anthony shitbag. Fucking, <laughs> I don't know who Merced is. That fucking bum. Uh, oh, I've heard of him. I hope he get man. He's a. It just he had. I don't even. I don't. I refuse to listen to it. I mean, sorry, Joe. Like you're you're awesome, and I I love I love the Raising Bulls, but I can't listen to it just because of him. Just because of Anthony Merce. I, I refuse. This is, this is this is the same fucking douchebag that went on his Twitter tirade because they were doing fucking Harambe jokes during. Oh, yeah. that was the <laughs> yeah, he, he even like did this article complaining that like we were doing Harambe fucking chants oh, when NC Cincinnati were at, uh, at Rebel Arena. How a fucking boring loser do you have to be? To bitch about fucking Haran about jokes of a dead gorilla. It's not <laughs> he didn't Jesus. die for this. Harambe <laughs> literally didn't die for this. Like what the fuck you guys? Like, <laughs> like yo, I, mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I guess it's story time here, but um <laughs> I, I, I I was so um annoyed by that um think piece which i think would kind of rival anything you see in the new york times opinion column <laughs> he called uh, it racist yeah i was like yeah. damn like I, I i had to bring a sign to the cincinnati open cup tie when we went down there that was like anthony J. Merced disapproves just in case <laughs> the jets came up. uh in the end we got a nail biter so i didn't pull it out but it was i, I like to think it's what brought us the uh Brought us that semifinal victory, um, that come from behind victory. Um, yeah, but yeah, in, in the last episode, I think it was last, but at, at some point recently, I, I saw on Twitter that um, he kind of rags on uh, on our boy Big Haas. So, fuck yeah. you, Anthony. We, we, we are defenders of Big Haas in this podcast for sure. Yeah, um, I will fight. On- 
to move on to uh, Tom's second part of his uh, question and asking who gets the churn, uh, definitely churn Merced, first of all. Uh, churn Merced from your podcast, preferably into a <laughs> I don't really care what you do with him. Uh, yeah, well, all right, I guess we're getting messy, but that's, the, the, that's where the... <laughs> let's see um churn 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 i think uh you know like southeast asian solidarity and everything but i'm sorry i don't really see a future in this team for nico devera no Uh, ethan cutler's stock has really fallen as well um so i think he he's he's definitely gone from you know potential first team to a definite bubble guy in the space of a half season which i think is quite dramatic because I don't think anyone could really have foreseen just how much he would have fallen off after making his first team debut. So that, I think that got in his head, honestly. Yeah. It, it I, seems- I feel like I, I remember going, I remember seeing him a couple of times um, after that first team appearance and he just kind of looked disinterested, like, you know, like, eh. Almost like 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 you know the Rebel Two team was like kind of below like beneath him in a way like there was a weird, I there was there was some stuff on the field that I noticed that that um that kind of make me think that you know again he was just kind of like yeah I got first team minutes I'm I'm you know kind of better than this and um I I, I think that may have played a little bit too heavy on his uh, on his head throughout the season um, yeah I, I don't I don't think I don't think his issue. In the second half, had anything to do with talent? I think it was all his all his his mentality, personally. Yeah, no, it seemed like it, uh, especially the couple times that was among Clary. You could kind of kind of see it a bit on his face, and you know, I think that's a difference in attitude between Hassan and Ethan. Is that Hassan still went out there and gave a hundred percent, had a smile on his face when we won, and you know, he definitely didn't enjoy losing. Um, or dropping points that they shouldn't have, you know. And I think when you see that kind of passion from Hassan, even though like he made his first team minutes, you know, that's the kind of thing that I want to see from you know potential people who want to be potential first teamers. You got to show that they want it and they're willing to do anything to help the team win, yep. even if it means getting further development time with the reserves after making first team debut. Yeah, you you want to see guys get that taste of the first team. And they stay hungry. They don't. They don't look satisfied. And and you know, that's kind of how Cutler looked like a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, oh, real, real quick, I just want to circle back real quick to uh, to Giannis. Remember, he was born in California, so he he will not take an international spot if he ends up ever uh, jumping to the first team. That's important, I think. This is Alan Giannis, right? Yep. Yeah, he's he is a green card holder, which is pretty rad. No, no, so, no, not um, even a green card. He was born in. He was, oh, yeah, he's a full blown. He is a full blown American citizen. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, he was born in California. Ooh, shit, my bad. Uh, yeah, this, <laughs> this podcast is racist now. Oh fuck. <laughs> oh no. Um, I don't even have the excuse of it being early because it's 11 a.m. here. So fuck. <laughs> I played myself. I'm sorry. I showed my. I showed my. I showed my whole ass to the internet. <laughs> Been hanging around Anthony Merce too long. Been hanging around Merced too long. I'm sorry. <laughs> I listened to one Raising Bulls episode, and now I'm a racist. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Not 
we're not ragging on raising bulls, Joe. We're ragging on Merced. Okay, yeah. uh, like there's a difference. Yeah. Um, raising bulls is a great, a great podcast, man. That's that, that's a must listen to for anyone who uh, who actually like cares about the second team and and you know really what the future is of this team. You just got to mute the parts of the episode where Merced speaks. Yeah, just have your have your thumb on your fucking on your screen and just mute whenever he opens his fucking mouth. <laughs> Um, other churning potential, I think Jordan Scarlett's probably there, yeah. unfortunately. And, you know, when, when he played, he was really good, but Andrew Lombard as well, because I think the team doesn't really have a way back for him after all the, uh, all the various injuries he suffered, which is unfortunately because he looked really, really good that one half season that he was playing. So, um, Scarlett and Lombard, I don't think, unfortunately see a future for in this team. You know what's weird, man? He's like, he's older than I thought he was. He's like 23, 24, right? Yeah. yeah Carlos 23. His birthday is in July. He's, for some reason, I had in my head he was like 20. Yeah. I mean, so, the writing's on the wall at that point, really, if you ask me. Um, I guess we'll close out the question with a couple Dark Horse selections. Um, bubble guys are. I think, in my opinion, Kevin Pollitz and um, Lucas Stoffer. I think Lucas Stoffer is kind of a bit more likely to be let go. Yeah. If, uh, but he might be kept on because of depth. And Pollitz just simply because I think they give a longer leash for defenders to, uh, to uh, you know, to develop. And he does have a skill set, I think. The potential to have a skill set that I don't think many other defenders inside the organization right now have, because Pollitz does have that really good ball playing ability for a center back inside the system. So, you know, those guys are kind of like unicorns at USL slash MLS level. And you know, if you got to give them additional time to develop, I'd say give Kevin Pollitz more time to try and lock down a place, especially since we uh, expect Hassan and Dom to be moving up. It's going to be opening up a pretty big competition for spots, I think. For center back, for the center back position next year. Yeah, so I, I'm very excited to see Barlow. He's got to get some first few minutes um, in this next year. Oh no, yeah, no. Bar- Barlow uh, has the potential to bring something to the table that I don't think we've seen from a lot of our strikers, and that's you know that range that he has. You know, his ability to play as a target man, but also of how mobile he is. Yeah, and if you really think about it, like we kind of struck gold of all our draft picks this year. Uh, well, most of them anyway. Like we, we had a very good draft class this year, like between White, Stroud, and uh, Barlow. I think yeah. was a really good. Got to really give a shout out to the. Uh... Oh, and Aguanaga as well. I totally forgot about him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you really got to give a shout out to uh, the uh, scouting department for uncovering those guys in the college game. Um, it, it, I w- it would be fun to see a, a four triple two with White and Str- and uh, Barlow up top together. I mean, that could be the future. Who really knows, right? Yeah. Two or well, three years down the line. Apparently, everyone knows the future because, you know, we always suck. So let's, let's, let's not go there. <laughs> Sorry. We only shit on Anthony Merced on this podcast. Okay. Like, um, uh, I don't know. I like, your point uh, now, apparently, so you're racist like him. Yeah, no, I'm, I, yeah. I'm a racist. (laughs) 
That's gonna, that's gonna be like clipped, I think, from this episode, and it's gonna be used against me somehow. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think anyone makes it past the first half hour of this podcast, anyway. Generally, um, because we ask people to tweet sixty nine at Andrew Weeby if they made it um, <laughs> to the second hour of last episode, and no one did. Cowards, all of you. <laughs> yeah, I was really looking forward to. Uh... Do we be just like tweet tweeting like why why are a bunch of rebel fans tweeting me sixty nine? That would have been great. <laughs> God damn it! I still say do it anyway. Okay, uh, if you made it this far in the episode, tweet sixty nine at Andrew Weeby. I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna do it right now on my personal. <laughs> Remember, we said we weren't gonna get messy, folks, but we got messy. Like, like, like you knew it was gonna happen, dude. It's like fucking clockwork every single episode. Um, <laughs> Gus just we 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 brought Gus on because we thought like he'd be too he'd be like a really good balance to us being like fucking no, man. Off the messy cut. man. Yeah, I was like, I thought you were gonna be the Zen uh, master, dude. But <laughs> he's no, he's like he's like the most Zen person. I know in my life, but he can get fucking messy. Oh, yeah. There's a dark side. <laughs> so it's like Felipe, basically. I'm down for that. Exactly. <laughs> I'm down for that. Uh, I don't know. I think that kind of wraps it up for me for the questions. Um, I, uh, I don't know. Does anyone really have anything else to add before the end of the episode? Uh, just uh, I'm looking forward to BWP scoring some goals. Yeah, he's, uh, he's only scored in two games since the end of August. Oh wow! I just noticed too. Actually, underrated underrated thing that's come up. Actually, I think someone brought up a BWP's goal scoring record in the playoffs, and I think you know, I mean, people will remember the misses, but they've also brought up the fact that BWP has scored a number of goals that has either tied the game or put us ahead. You know, I think um, uh, I, I, in the playoffs. I'm going to fight. Uh, I'm fighting hard right now not to be messy, but apparently, according to some who tried to pick apart those games for whatever reason, um, apparently those weren't good enough either. Those were, yeah, those are barely good enough, and he's still somehow not. I mean, remo- removing the context of it, even like I think, I think the his record kind of comes out to five goals and nine playoff appearances, which, you know, I mean, that's still, that's still, a, I mean, that, 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 that ain't bad. That's Wasn't it more? Wasn't it like nine goals and 14 playoff matches or something? Something like that. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it was like, definitely, something I think eight of those were, were at home. Like he's only scored one away goal, yeah. away goal in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look, people can try to t- pick that apart to build whatever narrative they want, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. The, the, the guy, if you look at his stats at the regular season and you look at his stats in the playoffs, uh, they're pretty much the same. I mean, he's been pretty consistent. Uh, but, yeah, look, when he can't be the only guy doing it. Yeah, and that's kind of why I mentioned before that, uh, you know, we, we got to get some production from, from guys who really haven't been producing as much as they should be out in the wing. So, um, yeah, I mean. I think he's due. Only two goals since uh, since August. I think we're he's he can be a little streaky sometimes, and maybe this is it. Maybe this is what this is the moment where he kind of wakes up a little bit. 
he got a really good look at the end of the yeah. last game as well. I mean, I like to remind everyone, I took a wonder save from Zach Steffen for it not to end 1-1 in Ohio. Um, but I guess that's what it kind of boils down to. I guess I'll wrap up the episode by saying this. Um, like, I'll believe that this team is done when we are dead and buried and we are having our exit interviews at the training facility yep. the next day. I mean, that's basically all it is to me. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shoot shots. I think as much, but I'm just gonna say, you know, I mean, I've seen time and time again where we were ruling us out of contention for of the Shield race in July, and we came back and what and you know we came back all the way, but we reeled in Atlanta by October, and we pipped them in the last day of the season. So if anything, you know, like and it can can happen in MLS. And, you know, like, just because, and anything can, and I don't know why it kind of applies to other teams more than we apply it to ourselves, but it's a simple fact, you know? I mean, anything can happen yep. in MLS. The bizarre, if you're writing us off the sheet, if you're writing our shield chances away in July, like, maybe th- what we did to reel us back in, you know, I think I can point to that and say that, you know, we have to, ch- we, 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 ha- we have, the capabilities of doing it again. That's what our whole season's been about, if anything. Like, I think if we were going to win a championship this year, and we knew this, that this was going to involve doing things that no other team in this club's history has ever done. And that includes this stat where we haven't come back from a loss in the first leg in team history. This is one of those things. These are one of those demons that we were going to have to exercise if we were going to win the championship this year because of the nature of how the playoffs work out. And, you know, like, again, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say anything more than I have faith that this team has the capability of doing exactly that because this team has literally gone out and done a number of things that no other team in club history has done. They have the capability of doing, of reaching a level of, of, of realization that has been unparalleled, not just in club history, but in MLS history. And, you know, I think that's kind of what I'm going to be carrying in when I wake up to watch the game on Monday morning. So I don't know. I mean, the, the- the last thing I'll say is this, you know, and, and this isn't even going to be, I'm not going to be messy, but all I'll say is this, look, who gives a shit what the fuck happened in the past? I, I think this team uh, in 2018 has more than earned a certain level of respect and a certain level of faith uh, in this fan base, regardless of, the pre- uh, regardless of the past, because at the end of the day, it's the 2018 team that's going to be taking the field on Sunday, not from 96, not from 2000, not from 2010. It's going to be this year's team. And this year's team showed over the course of 34 games in a regular season while navigating two other competitions, one of which they 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 made history too, you know, first team to, to defeat a Mexican side back-to-back games. Um, I mean, we this team has accomplished so much. And for that one reason – over, I mean, the team's played what forty-two games already at this point. I think after forty-plus games this year, they have done more than enough 
to earn at least a little bit of faith and a little bit of respect from everyone in this fan base, even if it's just for this one year. So I know I do. And like you said, you know, it's, it's not over till it's over. Um, they haven't failed this year until in the playoffs until they do. So, you know, I guess that is what it is. I'm, I'm going in on, on, on Sunday, uh, excited, confident that this team who basically steamrolled, you know, steamrolled teams throughout the regular season at home. And I have no reason to, to, to believe they can't do it again this time. So like you said, this is the, the it was going to, it was going to create the, the year this team wins the cup. It's not going to be easy. It was, it would never be easy. It would, it would require this team to exercise, uh, exercise and demons and, and doing things we've never done before simply because winning the cup is something we've never done before. So it, it's, it's a little bit of a, you know, hill to climb being down one, you know, one, nothing against Columbus of all teams. But you know, the way this team has, has bounced back throughout the year from a loss, the way this team has kind of just bounced back in general against, um, you know, in, in bad moments and just how good this fucking team is. I have faith and, and, and I, and I think they deserve that. Gus. Yeah. And for me, uh, fuck man. <laughs> <laughs> We're, uh, I mean, like real talk, we're better than they are. Like at the end of the day, and we are playing at home, and we're really fucking good at home. Like I'm coming in like super confident, and I think they're gonna have their swag back and kind of look like the team that 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 played uh, Atlanta a couple weeks ago, and not the team that had a rough day uh, in Columbus. Yeah, so fuck Columbus. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, say it louder for the people in the back. I don't think they heard you. Fuck Columbus. Hey. <laughs> Shit. It's not it's not a good time. Yeah. They should just fucking nuke Columbus. Yeah, I mean They should just yeah. Aw, aw, yeah. Austin. Uh, I'm not gonna oh man, I'm not gonna get involved in that whole uh, that whole that whole braha. I do not endorse this message necessarily. I want to. I want to. I want to quote. Like the disclaimer here is that, like, even though we collectively do the <laughs> podcast, we do not share every single opinion, and I do not necessarily endorse everything that's just been said. I just okay, want, but also, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to nuke Columbus. I don't think we should move them to Austin. I disagree with that, but I agree with nuking no, no, no. Columbus. That's not a better play. Yeah, it's, it's all. I mean, dude. I mean, like Ohio is becoming more red by the yeah. year, anyway. So just, just nuke that in Florida, just nuke Ohio. Yeah, just, 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 yeah. just get all that. Just, just end the concept of a of a swing state. You know what? Just, just, just abolish the United States. Let's be real. I think it's about time. <laughs> I kid. I kid. I kid. Um. Okay, dismantle Ohio. Like to like to split it up and give it to other people. Like I think that I think I think that's a fair compromise. Yeah. Um. Also, like uh, you know, I think I think it's true. You know, I mean, whatever happens, like I don't think anything that's gonna happen, regardless of the outcome, is gonna diminish my you know confidence in the um, path that these organizations taking going forward. And you know, I mean, in spite of it. I think it's still ultimately a successful year, even in spite of uh, the fact that we didn't reel in the big one, because I think even in spite of that, like we'd probably 
we're probably closer than we've ever been, I think, in the history of this organization to finally making that breakthrough. And, you know, I think you can make what you want out of that, but that's what I believe. So I guess uh, that kind of just wraps everything up for us. Uh, Gus, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, gracing us with your ever chill pre- presence. <laughs> Word app. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess on behalf of Fernando, this is Lens saying good morning, good afternoon, and good night, and forever, fuck Ohio, and especially, you know, um, fuck John Kasich. Good night. <laughs>